I'm so excited to kick off our first lady with lions of the second season, Courtney Hanks. Courtney Hanks is a designer, artist, writer, illustrator, and all around creator. She officially founded Not Bad Design Co., a design company focusing on unique product design in 2020, and published her first picture book this year, That Witch, which recently launched on September 4th. So visit Not Bad Design Co., check out her awesome tea towels, aprons, headbands, stickers. That's how I ended up finding out who Courtney was. I purchased one of her awesome tea towels, which I'll put up on Instagram. And of course, please support Courtney and pick up That Witch. You can follow Courtney and everything Not Bad Design Co. on Instagram at Courtney Makes Pretty. Oh my God, what, what did we not talk about? is the question. So Courtney shared her love for teaching, what it was like to be a yearbook advisor, which come to find out there's a national yearbook competition, which I had no idea about. Unfortunately, there was horrific family tragedy that then awakened Courtney's creative side. And that was the start of Not Bad Design Co. and her children's book. We are both similar in the fact that when we invest in something, we need to give it a thousand percent or we just won't do it. And I love that she explained that because I couldn't really explain that to anyone else. So when she said that, it was definitely a a, a ha-ha moment for me. But Courtney shared her insight on being an okayist. And I needed to hear that because I am such a perfectionist. I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say on that. I asked her the reason for the book being themed around kindness. And her answer was about being kind versus being nice. And I cannot wait for you to to hear her mentality on that. I had the best, best time talking to Courtney. And with that said, let's get this episode started. Courtney, you were a yearbook and news advisor before you got back into creative, but I don't know your background. Do you want to share? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of weird, I guess. I'm... I'm one of those people, like, I'm naturally very curious. Like, as a child, I was very into, like, science and reading. Like, I used to carry around this, like, encyclopedia, basically, of, like, nature. And, like, to the to the cover came off. Um, I used to go to art camps. And, like, just basically, I'm a very, like, ravenous um, learner. Like, I constantly want to continue, like, growing and learning different things. So I never knew, like, even through high school, um, what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I still don't really know what I want to do with my life. So <laughs> I guess it's not, it's not quite figured out yet. But I was, you know, I was an, a medium student. I was in, like, the IB program. I did graduate as an IB um, high school student. But I, my grades were always medium. I had pretty severe ADHD, which is also probably why I'm so into, like, diverse activities. I just like to continuously be surprised and excited by what I'm learning. So graduated high school and I started at UCF as an undecided major. And then I was an art major for two years before I switched to English. And I didn't really have a plan for what I wanted to do. I knew what I liked. And with art, I got kind of burned out of the um, hours. If anybody has here has ever gone to art school before, it's a lot of hours in the studio and I was working full time. So between trying to balance the two, I just kind of got burned out and lost my passion for it. So then I went into English and I graduated and I became, I graduated in 2011. 
which people might remember as the Great Recession. <laughs> and I didn't have a plan for what I wanted to do. I just kind of figured something would happen and nothing did. And then, I, you know, my mom kept pushing for me to get a teaching certification and I did it. And very much to my dismay, because I met my mother was right. Um, I love teaching. So I actually started as a middle school English teacher. And I did that for a few years before I became the yearbook advisor at that school. And I love kids so much. I'm like, I'm one of those people that is like defiantly loves kids. Like, I'm like, no, I don't. They're so stupid. And then like, they're around me. I'm like, oh, you guys are the best. <laughs> like, I love like the nurturing experience. I love being able to like see them through the different struggles that I saw myself go through as a teenager and different things that I have never experienced before, just being able to be there for them and, you know, learning and, you know, being passionate and excited about things, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm such like a, I love to learn so much and I get so excited about different types of learning that that's something that makes you a good teacher. It just does. So being able to share the things that make me passionate. And um, after doing that for a little while, I got into advising for a yearbook there. And after one year, I found a position at a high school that was combining journalism teaching um, yearbook advising, and they also had a news program. And I didn't know much about journalism at the time. I just knew design. So my art background, you know, helped me with the, that part. I started learning photography. I got the position. So being a yearbook advisor is a unique job. It is a lot of different, you have to have a lot of different skills to be able to teach it because journalism, especially like nowadays, is nothing like it used to be. So like when people would talk about my class, they're like, oh, it's a writing class. I'm like, we only do writing for nine weeks. What and that's is <laughs> yearbook advisement? I'm so, thinking of something probably yeah. wrong. So yeah, so yeah, so basically, there's a whole world out there of this. So basically, the the yearbook gets created at any high school, right? All right, that's a class. It's a you know graded course. Some schools do it as a club, and basically, I coach students through the creation of a 336 page publication every year. So. That's, that is essentially what your book advising is. It's, it's very intensive. And then, like I said, it's its own world. So it's actually competitive. So we enter into these national competitions. Um, like I've gone to Columbia University and, you know, we do sessions there. And then um, there's like National Scholastic Press Association. So there's a, like a whole world with this stuff. But essentially, it's just getting kids to explore different aspects of journalism, which are photography, digital design, and writing. And then of course, there's also the business aspect of it. So things like leadership and marketing and um, social media marketing, all of those things. So, so that's I, for your book. That's for the book yeah. we get at high school. There's competitions. Yeah. Oh yeah. Books. No yeah. way. And when I say like we make a yearbook, I like people's mindset is probably like what they saw when they were in high school, but it's nothing like that anymore. Like spread, like the what goes into each spread and the actual like historical documentation of how your books are made well now, like it's, it's insane. Like I'll show you at some point. <laughs> no, please. That, that yeah. was, Cause I was part of your book club. I yeah. was the photographer and part of the pages for the design. So yeah. I totally understood that. I just didn't know it's that extensive it's and so there's extensive. a competition behind it. Is it digital now? Are they going yes. to digital? Yeah, all, yes. all digital? So, yeah, so basically like my kids shoot on equipment. So when I started with my program, like we had nothing, but we built ourselves up. So like they shoot on professional photography equipment. We have our own photography studio, studio on a campus that we've set up. Um, we have, you know, they all have like IMAX and stuff because we've raised money to have all this equipment. 
but they use InDesign, which is the industry, you know, software for, you know, publication. They know how to use Photoshop. They certify it in InDesign, Photoshop and Illustrator. So yeah, it's intense digital design. It is not like it used to be with the cutting and pasting and all that. Yeah, we used Photoshop and yeah, I think it was Illustrator. And the, the computers were like in the back of the art room. Yeah. It wasn't even a computer room. They're just like, here, put it in ceramics. And it's like totally like you're breathing in clay yes. while you're on these computers. And I took my personal camera and yeah. would go to classes and see what they were doing. And yeah, that's that's what I would do. And then I became the the with the camera. For some reason, someone asked me, hey, will you MC the freshman video for advice for the kids coming into high school? <laughs> I don't know where I got this from, but I said, yeah. And my favorite advice was this total stoner surfer teacher, (laughs) Mr. K. And he did talk like a traditional, like, you know, and I just said, what's the advice for the incoming students? And I had like the camera guy sitting like this Uh and he goes, don't go number two in a one bedroom apartment. (laughs) I wish I I I saw the B-roll of my face (laughs) after that. But that was so great. So yeah, that was back in the day. It was, I took up my own camera. Yeah. And, and a lot of programs are that. still run like that. For me, it was really important to build a program that built like kids with preparation. So like, I take my job very seriously. I've always been that way. So like, if I can't invest myself a thousand percent, I don't do it. So like my kids leave me with like a full on resume of things like skills and, you know, awards they've won, awards we've won as a publication, um, just all these different things they can take with them. Because I do think that's my job as a teacher is not only to show them like, what are they good at? And what are the things that like, that interest them, which is such a magical part of teaching, but also like to have something tangible they can take with them as they enter into college. Will you show us an example I could put on the gram? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. After this? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait to see <laughs> a competitive yearbook. So it's insane. Not to cut you off on your story. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, are kids now going to lose the "Will you sign my yearbook?" anxiety that we all had to go through? I will say that. I mean, I guess it's a whole other conversation. But COVID kids are weird. I don't know. Like, just like in general, their socialization in the past year has been so poor that they. Like I was like the first person to be like, people are crazy. Like they don't need all that socialization. It's not worth losing lives. Like, why is this even an argument? And then when I got into the classroom and saw them together, I'm like, oh my God. So you go, hi, my name is. And then you say, hi, my name is. Like, it was just like, it was just to get them to like turn to each other and start a project was like insanely difficult. So they are um, beyond awkward right now. Um, on a typical yearbook, they do sign each other's yearbooks. We host signing parties, and, you know, and they still love doing it. They get their pens out. And I think like this year, especially like us having a yearbook in their hands was like the first normal thing that happened for seniors. So that was like a huge moment for them. And they were, oh my, I've never had a year that, that they were as excited as they were to get their yearbooks. That's something like, will you sign my yearbook is like the, your trophy to the next part of your life. Like you have to ask that, you know what I mean? Yeah, they do. They do it. I still take mine out. Sometimes we were having a bunch of drinks out on the patio one night, like last year. 
And I was, I took it out. And I'm like, you know, and I'm not from up here. So mm-hmm. I was showing my husband and my friend, like, oh, this is that team. There I am in that club. And they're like, oh, who's Shannon? You know, like kind of going yeah. through all those things. But digitally now they're going to have to, how do you even, you know, eventually, well, right? They don't do Oh, you they're not going to be digital, digital. Okay. No. So okay. there was a push a few years back where, so like when we create them digitally, but they still physically are printed. There was a push a few years back for them to be just digital or for kids to buy a separate digital yearbook. And it just, people don't want it. it there's not a market for it. Like it completely flopped on its head. And like every yearbook company had to backtrack because it was just like, first of all, what it's on a disc or it's in the cloud. Like where is the um, like certainty of this object being here for forever? I think there's just something so beautiful about like the tangible object in their hands. Eventually it's going to be the last book they ever flip because we're never going to have paper again. So, <laughs> well, it's, it's go to, yeah, <laughs> good. They'll create something new. Yeah. So can, so continue. So yeah. yeah okay. So yeah. So I started in my current role at university high school and, you know, we really grew the program from there and it was a while before I got back into art because for anybody who has been a teacher, it is, really consuming, like creatively, energy wise. I mean, especially if there's years where like my kids like need me to show up every day and pay attention. And there's years where they're fine. It just depends on the group you have or like what's going on in the world and, you know, just everything. So for a while there, I like, I hadn't painted in years. Like I had just like my, I had stuff set aside every summer, you know, I would like do a couple little projects, but um, it wasn't until I, Let's see what year is it now so not last year so not 2020 but in 2019 me and my husband went through a really big tragedy where his um, brother passed away at 26 years old in a car accident so it was like this huge moment where I had to pull back from my job like I was forced to take self-care time because my husband needed me and I needed me and my kids couldn't be the number one priority in my life so in that time just by pulling back and starting to like think and reassess. And I think that's often what happens to us in life. Like we have these big moments that kind of make you take count. And I'm like, how much of my energy goes to what other people want and need. And I think that just as people, we can so easily fall into that. And it's so rewarding to help others. Like it just is like every day is just like this wonderful gift that, you know, you get to give, but at, at some point you realize like, okay, but what's like, what's in it for me? Like, what do I get out of this? And, um, and I mean, maybe that sounds selfish, but I don't really care, I guess. Like, it's just like at that huge moment and having to take that time and just pulling away from my kids and letting them kind of take the reins and be in charge. It was hugely um, educational for me because I realized that they didn't involved as I was. They didn't, I mean, of course, like, there were things that kind of fell by the wayside that I wish hadn't, but for the most part, they, they were fine. And I could have my own life and I didn't have to work 65, 70 hours a week. So it was around that time that I started getting back into painting and exploring my, my creative interests, you know, even things like reading, like, and I, I listened to one of your other sessions, we were talking to like another avid reader. And I was like, gosh, that used to be me. I mean, I was an English major in college, I used to walk around with giant books, you know, just in my bag all the time. And I had gone years without reading for pleasure. Like once if I read, it was, you know, something that I had to read. And so it was like around this time I started reading and I started just exploring things again. And, um, in January, my sister 
around January, February, my sister was engaged and we were looking at doing wedding invitations and I just like hated everything I saw online for her. So I went and I created her a whole watercolor suite with like her monogram and it was beautiful. But just like getting back into it and having all this fun with these big projects, I was like, oh my God, I miss this so much. Just like something that was an outlet for me that made me feel proud of myself, not proud of a kid or proud of, you know, us as a team, like, or just whatever, just something that felt like it was like very gratifying in my soul. So it started back with that. And then I just kept rolling and I got into surface design. Um, and this is where my ADHD uh, complete obsession with learning goes into play. Like I just started taking whatever classes I could find, signed up for Skillshare, got, you know, paid the whole full year subscription, just like did class after class after class and just worked and worked and worked and produced and produced and produced until the point where I felt like I was ready to do something with it. So I guess that's kind of where we are now. Um, you know, in the middle, there's been a lot of other things that have happened, but I started my business, Not Bad Design Company. I wrote a children's book. I've just been really just having so much fun exploring that creative part of my life. I love that. We have a couple of things in common aside from okay. your book. I mean, you clearly are the master, but I was part <laughs> of your book club, so I can yeah. understand that. I also took every single art class that they oh, could, that they had. Yeah. Ceramics, you know, senior art portfolios, you had to submit to a committee to, because mm-hmm. technically it was like AP art or something like, if I can remember that photography. And at the time it was when the, you remember the, the pod, um, oh my God, I was about to say podcast, the Apple, uh, iPods came out and it was yes. the, the dancing silhouette with the back color scheme. Mm, yes. We had to actually create those. Someone had to take a picture of you. You made your own silhouette and you created your background. You could do whatever movie yeah. you want. So that was super fun. I forgot how to say the word iPod, I think, for a second. <laughs> for a second. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you're doing um, all that. They had a set of all the different pencils from number two to seven to 12. And, you know, I remember sketching an okra and then like a self-portrait and then going to acrylics and 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 watercolors and there's watercolors up of mine at my parents house that's the medium you use correct is it um i oh my god i use so much but what i use is actually a mix between watercolor but i also use a lot of gouache so gouache is not something you usually learn about in school because it's kind of expensive but it's similar to watercolor it just it's opaque so you can water it down like watercolor so it looks like it but then it also allows you to have like a solid color but it's it's very very similar Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. I understand like every single art class I could take, I took, yeah. it. I felt, I loved it. So, but you also said something that, that res- I actually said this out loud to someone today is I don't do any, I don't like doing anything I'm not good at. Like I like to put a hundred percent into it. And I think I'm doing a lot of self-discovery and, or trying to at least like kind of figure all some stuff out. Yeah. And even as small as like, I want to take golf lessons Oh, my husband enjoys them. I sat in a golf cart on Sunday. I'm a lefty, so it's a little bit harder. But I said out loud to someone today, I don't think I want to even try it because I know if I'm not going to be good at it, I'm not going to enjoy it. And I had an epiphany, like from a career standpoint, too. Like, if you think that about golf, why, maybe that's why you're such a perfectionist in other places of your life. You know, I had that. Yeah. So I completely resonate with you on that was that something that was fueled by your parents or that just who you are how'd that go (laughs) my parents didn't really know what to 
do with like us. They both were like not big students. Neither of them went to college. So like me and my sisters are like, I'm actually the least educated out of my sisters. Both my sisters have master's degrees, but I definitely have the most severe ADHD. So <laughs> we all have it. Like, oh, it's terrible. I think it's a, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't know if it's a gifted kid thing, but I think it just in general, when you have something that when things come easy to you and you can be good at something, it's so dissatisfying to be in a situation where you can't. And there are things so like photography was not something I picked up easily. And it was a very frustratingly slow process. And I still don't consider like I'm not the best photographer, but I can shoot good photos because I taught myself and I took the classes and I spent the time learning. But it took me years Whereas usually I learn something so quickly that it almost feels instinctual. So like right now I'm doing ceramics and I love it because it feels instinctual. So it's like very satisfying because when I'm in classes, I'm like, look at me just like going, I'm going like I can do it so good. Like it is so satisfying because I am able to like really get, you know, that full experience out of it and feel really good at it. But I also too, like, I think one thing that you said that I, I, I don't think I am, I'm not a perfectionist. So I'm not type A as much as I like, I can be type A on the outside. I'm not type A. I am an ad, like avid, 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 um, okayist. Like I'm okay with things being flawed. And I, that's a learned trait. Um, because I think when I find myself like striving too hard for perfection, then I tend to be like, absolutely not. It's not going to fly. I can't make this work. It's never going to be to the level I want it to be. But as a, you know, a design teacher, and uh, you know, being in a classroom, you, you really kind of learn a lot more about the creative process. And a lot more of it is, let's try this. Let's see how this goes. Let's see how far we can do this. And then at some point being like, it has to be good enough. We need to move on to the next project. So, you know, it kills my kids more than it kills me because I guess I've become so well-trained at being like, it's okay. We gave it our best and <laughs> we're going to have to go ahead and move on. And even writing like the children's book that I wrote, like for years, people have been telling me to write children's books. Like I love kids. I love to illustrate. I, I'm an English major, writing major. And I just didn't, I don't know, maybe it's because they were telling me to do it. I just didn't do it. And it wasn't until like I had to like, my niece's birthday was coming up and I was like, you know what? Her birthday is the 29th of October. I'm going to write her a book for Halloween. And in two days, I got it all put together and I sent it off to get printed and she had a book and it wasn't perfect. It wasn't, you know, fantastic. But for that moment, it was great. And then afterwards, my sister's like, you, you should make this into a book. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. I don't know. Definitely not perfect. And I think at some point I was just like, wait, like this is you're you're doing that thing again. Like you have to stop yourself and be an okayist. like take it do the revisions, do the work, do the legwork, but you're going to have to get to a place where you're just okay with it and ready to move on. And it's so much better than it was when I first wrote it. Cause I was just, you know, throwing it together. I had no idea what I was doing. And I've worked with like, I have an editor friend who's like amazing and she's just taught me so much, but just, I think it's okay to be okay. And I think that we, we, as like, whenever you're in any creative endeavor, you have to kind of pause and be like, uh, it's okay to not be super great at this or to move on and try something different. And like golf isn't like that. I can understand that. Cause like when you're bad at golf, like you slow everyone, I live on a golf course. So like my husband and I will like sit out there, you know, have a beer and just be like, look at that guy. Like it's so bad. And you know, they're like, go around. I'm like they've had a shot that like six times. 
but like that would be me I'm not athletic at all like I could never golf I wouldn't even want to you know what I like to do drink wine in the golf cart though and um, read books so there's you know lots of ways to contribute to the team but <laughs> oh, that sounds incredible I love that yeah. So you have the cutest designs. I have your bubbly tea towel. I also gave it away to Melissa here as a homeowner <laughs> gift. She was also on the podcast. You have an, an adorable, amazing feminist tea towel, girl power. Yeah, that awesome, one's so awesome, awesome. So you also have different wallpapers and you've also then taken your tea towels and made them into aprons and accessories and things like that. Yes. So where does, like, where do those prints come from in your head? funny question. So my younger sister, when she was getting married, like, I guess there's something you would need to know to understand this, but me and my sisters are extra. Like, I'm not going to say like, we, we call it the Kohler, like the Kohler way, but it, you know, obviously we're not all Kohlers anymore, but we are extra people. We go an extra mile, we do everything like a thousand percent. So like for my sister's bridal shower, the theme was French, like French garden. So we did like a, a giant table of charcuterie board and then we did like fl just flowers everywhere. It, it was absolutely stunning. It came out amazing, but I wanted to make her her own linens. So that is actually how the whole French romance line came to be. And then when I had those linens out of my sister's house, like people were coming through and just like literally stopping and being like, oh my God, would you get this tea towel? Like, yeah, I made that. And they're like, that's not normal. Like, I had never complimented to get a tea towel before. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's the thing, huh? And so it was kind of like to the point where we're like, yeah, maybe we should kind of explore this. And I was hand making them at first. And oh my goodness, I hate sewing in the worst way. Like I'm not good at it. I'm slow at it. You know, we talked about like, you know, you don't like to do the things you're not super good at. Yeah, I'm, I'm not super good at it. I'm slow, so painfully slow. And my, I get distracted all the time and make mistakes. And I'm just, it's not for me. It's not, you know, it's not in the cards for me. So I actually ended up after several months and after selling, you know, all out I went and um, got them produced so that was actually the first product I ever produced for not bad design company um, and it does really well I got to do a lot of wholesale on it but yeah it's just a super fun like feminine print and celebrating you know my sister and all of our love for wine and then the you know the feminist part of it was I have another friend and I did her like a little painting with those bottles just like separately and she was like, you should make this into a print for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, just added that into the mix. And um, yeah, that's how I came up with that. Sorry, long answer. No, I love it. We love long answers <laughs> here. We want to get to know you. We love it. We love, love it. I want it as a tablecloth. So mm. I saw that I can get it by the material. Yeah. Okay, so, like, so I can do that. Yeah. So like, I love Spoonflower because it lets you do so much stuff. So you can buy just the fabric, but they also, if you're lazy and don't want to sew, like I hate sewing, they like do it. So if you go into any of their fabrics, you can order products in it and they have their like own pre-sewn things as well. Perfect. Done <laughs> and done. I love it. So I want to talk about The Witch. Okay. Your children's book that you just talked about, you wrote it, you illustrated it for your niece. Yes. So by the time that this airs, it'll be out by this point. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so there's a theme around this book of kindness. And it's, I saw that it says kindness is the greatest magic of all. And was curious what event or events happened that you would like to talk and theme kindness in this book. Oh, man. Complicated question. I'm not sure I'll be able to answer that one properly. I'll do my best. <laughs> So the book has a theme of kindness. I have my two nieces and I'm very close with them. 
my oldest niece's godmother and we don't have any kids of our own yet. So we are like, I've been involved in her life heavily since she was born. And there's just certain things I think when you're growing up and, you know, I'm so like, I told you before, like, I love kids. I'm so fascinated by like the little thoughts they have and the things that they do and say, and just like what goes on in their heads. And kindness to me has just been one of those overarching themes that with children and with even teenagers, it's a conversation I have all the time and just like what it looks like. And for me, a lot of the time it's teaching them patience more than it is teaching them anything else. Because I think that, especially as we grow up as women, it's a lot of times it's a conversation about being nice. And that isn't the word that I've ever really attached myself to. I don't like, I told myself this all the time. My husband gets so mad. He's like, I'm like, I'm not a nice person. And he's like, yes, you are. You're so nice. Why would you ever say that? I'm like, I don't think of myself as a nice person. Nice people like just bend over backwards for other people. They're always trying to make everyone else comfortable. And I think it's funny because you said you're a Gemini and so is he. And like, he is such a people pleaser. But I'm like, I, I'm like, I find that taxing. Like, it's not me. Like, I, I think it's very important to be kind. And for me, that's more of a graciousness. It's more of a, it's more about patience and doing for others. And as like other people are human beings in this earth alongside you, like on this journey, like what can we do for each other? That needs to be a question we ask ourselves each day. Um, But I guess like if I come back to like that theme, like for me, especially with like my high school students, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, that girl was so nice. And like, I just like, I always come back like nice is the bare minimum. Like, I just think that kindness is that theme of what it means to give, what it means to receive, what it means to be another human alongside other humans. And I think those are questions that we grapple with our whole lives, not just as children. And I had actually one of the, um, one of my Kickstarter backers for this book messaged me and she was like, I was like literally in tears reading this book, which it's not super sad. She just like connected with it. And she was like, this is the themes where I really connected with them. And I'm like, I really didn't want it to be a heavy book. I wanted it to be super light, which is like very gentle themes. But I think just in general, like learning to live with people that are, you know, on this journey with you and to appreciate them for who they are and to have that support system and to be kind to one another is just like kind of the whole point of everything. And kindness takes so much less effort than being mean or the complete oh. opposite. There's yeah. so much energy into being an asshole. It just takes <laughs> so much energy, right? I mean, I mean, too, like I always feel it in my heart when I'm like doing something mean. Like there's times like where I'm tired or agitated or frustrated and like I say or do something and I'm like, that was mean. And it's just that, you know, I can feel it and I can see it, but it's for me, and especially as a teacher, like it's, you have to be so mindful because these kids remember everything you say and do. Like you can't have a moment. They will pull it out two, three years down the road and be like, there was that one time. And you said this to me, I'm like, oh my God, I did. You're right. You remember that. Of course you do. Cause it's so important to them. And you're on this pedestal and it's, you know, as parents, then that's the same situation, just as adults in these kids' lives. But yeah. And that, and I was thinking about that too recently, how much I remembered back then. And even now their lives are so much shorter Yes. and the responsibility list is like this short compared to the 17 people roles of responsibilities that we have as adults. So those small hiccups in their lives are forever implemented into their timeline. Yeah. And it's also just perspective. Like, you know, as we go get older, we suffer real tragedy. We suffer, you know, we suffer. That's part of the human condition. But when they're kids, they haven't gone through things like that yet, or they have, and you're an echo of it. 
So, you know, when if they faced, you know, rejection from their parents, then when you reject them, you are just like another like splinter in this giant, you know, painful life they've had. And then otherwise, you know, when you say or do something that was hurtful to them, they are just, they don't have the experience or the context to understand that, like, and I think most adults don't have this, but like that usually it's not about you. It's about the person who's acting out. So like usually when I'm being mean to a kid, it's not because the kid did anything wrong. It's just like, I'm having a bad day. 20 things just happened that were wrong. Like I'm just agitated in the situation. So I don't have the patience level to handle whatever question they just came to me with. And I think that's so true in most situations. Like, you know, and I, as an adult, I've personally had times where I'm like, no, 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 this is not about me. This is about them. <laughs> like They're not being a jerk to me because they hate me and because I'm the worst. It's because they are legitimately going through something and this is how they're acting out. Or they just never learned the proper way to talk to people or how to have positive female relationships or whatever else it is. It's just, you just can't take it personally. But they don't have the perspective for that when they're 16. Like they just don't. I know. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> It's hard and everything matters back then. Yeah. It just makes my skin crawl thinking how much anxiety I got over things that just don't, it didn't matter, you know, yeah, at all. They don't matter at all. It <laughs> didn't matter at all. And like just this anxiety of life and AOL away messages that don't matter today, you know, but that, yeah. I guess that's childhood. Every single generation has that weird anxiety of oh yeah something in their in their childhood. So I think mine, I, okay. I blame cell phones because I'm a night owl because I had to wait till after 9 PM to use free minutes. So I blame cell phones being free after nine now that I can never sleep. And <laughs> I also blame aim for the anxiety that I used to get from bling, bling, you know, yeah. that's our, yeah. I think that's cause I'm only a year younger than you. So I also went into, I graduated in 2000 college in 2012 and I shared this story before, but I remember being at my internship in college, like getting ready to graduate, sitting at a McDonald's lo- literally a hundred feet from the building. And they had a TV in there maybe because they had a huge jungle gym for the kids. So maybe yeah. to, like, keep the parents entertained was, but they had the news on, which was the weirdly depressing. Yeah. So, but it was literally like, oh unemployment at the biggest rise of whatever yes. I'm sitting there eating like a $2 hamburger, just like going to figure it out. Like there was no emotion <laughs> behind it. So I completely, completely it was a weird it. time. And I, I really just like in general, like I feel so much pity for millennials, like this boat we're on, like, and, and people love to say things like I'm in the ceramics class right now and everybody in it with me is like 50 or older, but they were talking the other day about like all this like millennial stuff. I'm like, you guys gotta stop blaming millennials. We're just hanging out. We're just doing our best. All right. We graduated college during a recession. We are doing, we've now seen COVID like right as our careers were starting to like do better. And then like most, most millennials can't afford any housing like at all. Like it's just, it's so painful. And I feel so, I, this this is a scapegoat for society. I mean, oh God. I'm, I'm trying to get with someone authors of a gen uh, I was in a millennial book and they were the authors and I'm trying to get them in there on the podcast for their gen z book and we were also the we were also the generation that shifted from no technology to all technology gen theers has always had technology so I feel like we're kind of hybrids in that sense you know I'm like no wonder we're all having anxiety consistently and are always stressed out and you know the standards are so high in both levels we're trying to adapt we climb but they also I I'm not yeah. The Gen Zers too have com- their complete own stress 
their own different types of reality and just something I can't understand and vice versa. So I, no one, I'm not saying it's better than the other. I'm just, yeah, you know, it's fair. I just want us to all take a deep breath and press reset. That's what I really I want. know. That'd I be nice. Reset if we could. I will say though. So like I spend a lot of time with teens and this past year was the first year that I was like, these kids are a different thing than me. Like they have different experiences. They have a different like frame of reference for a lot of things. Not to say they aren't grounded. They're, if anything, they're more grounded than a lot of the kids I've had in the past, but they are just a, like a different being. Like, I, I guess I can kind of feel now where what the older generation from us felt about millennials, but it's just like this sense of like, you are a different thing and we're going to have to adapt to like, first of all, all these words you keep making up, stop doing that. And oh man, they're just like, just all of the things and needs that they have. They're very self-aware. I will say that they're very self-aware. That's like such a Gen Z thing. And very into eco-friendly. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. into that. And they started a couple years back, like the feminists, like they would correct me because I'd be like, girls, don't make the t-shirts pink because, you know, we have two boys in the yearbook class. Can't forget them. And they're like, why wouldn't we like pink? Why wouldn't we like flowers? And I'm like, I, I was just, I didn't want to assume you would. I'm sorry. I will check myself. <laughs> like, they, like they were checking me all the time. I'm like, oh man. But um, yeah, now it's, they're very eco-friendly, but they're just very like independent, all about self-expression and very much about um, like self-awareness. And like, I mean, I think that's like why they're so into like astrology and crystals and all this stuff. Like they just like want to figure themselves out like little puzzles. They all have tattoos, super weird to me. My parents would never have thought of letting me have a, have a tattoo at 16. I would say like 80% of my kids have tattoos. Really? Yeah, I, it's, a whole the, new, it's a whole new world, I'm telling you. The arm tattoos are what like to have just to like, like my sister has a beautiful rose like right here. And then my cousin, who's also like only like a year older than them, ha- and my sisters are six years younger than me. They're twins, by the way. Oh, so they, fun. they, yeah, so fun. They, <laughs> then uh, my cousin, who's a year older than them, she's got tattoos all over, like here. Yeah. And I'm just like that, we, we were like told that is so yeah. wrong to do. Yeah. Like, if you want to ever it's get gone. a job in your entire nope. life, you don't do that. You hide nope. them. They've got them everywhere now. Now they got them all over them. Them All over them. Post Malone is always tired, right? (laughs) I can relate to that. I'm always tired post. Yeah. I am as always. I'm always tired as well. But yeah, so like we were just like, if you ever get a tattoo that's a condition, you will never get a job in your life. And you're like, ah, you know, like, "Mm." so now they're just like everywhere. I'm like, is that okay? Like, it makes me uncomfortable to think like, can I do that? You know, yeah, now, yeah, it's completely okay. Now they've, they've completely just lost all the stigmas around tattoos. So I'm like, you know, I, I, I like to think, think that millennials are like responsible for everything. I'm pretty sure we started that, but you know, they're the ones that get to just bask in the glory of all their cool tattoos. But I always tell my kids, I'm like, you really should wait until you're 21. Like your brain doesn't even stop developing until you're 23. Like you're making a lot of decisions for future you, like maybe just hold off a little bit. I would say if you still love the tattoo after a year. Yeah. I'd say go for it. If you're still just, really into it. I just remember being in high school and being like, I really want a bat right here, like a bat right here. And it was like my example for the longest time because I, tell my, I always tell my kids, like, I think you should wait until your brain stop, stop developing so you have your personalities in place. And one of my girls came in with a bat tattoo right there one time. I'm like, oh my God, that's literally the tattoo that I said I would get if I had gotten it when I was 18. <laughs> she did it. She's like, I feel like you're criticizing me. I'm like, I'm, I am like a little bit, like I like it, but also like, what if you don't like it in four years? Come on, kid. You're so little. If I got every single thing I enjoyed, I'd have like a pizza slice, <laughs> pasta, 
my dog in sync yeah. like i'd have yeah. every single 100 percent a white you were claw. gen z that is what your arms would look like just yeah all over linear stickers everywhere but i commend <laughs> them because they're just like like fuck the system they're like fuck yeah. fuck whatever you guys said yeah. We love our bodies. We don't care. Yeah. We had the Tommy Hilfiger, like, you must never exist from the side, like, at all, yeah. right? Bones for life, essentially. So we had, <laughs> unfortunately, we had that. You yeah. know, they're just like, yeah, body awareness. Let's stop killing the planet. We're going to make up dances that you all are going to try to dance to and then ask us for help, right? Like, they just kind of just said, like, we're not doing what all you have all done. How has it been working? And I love that, you know, (laughs) I'm honestly more jealous that my brain has reached mass capacity where I can't learn another app, Courtney. Like I physically, mentally and physically cannot learn another piece of technology. Have you started TikTok at all? So I did a TikTok within 24 hours. It went like like almost a million like views. Wow. Then I deleted it. Cause I was like, we're going out on a high. We're going out on a high. (laughs) Never be able to replicate that again. We're done. Oh my God. So if someone sends me a TikTok, it's through like a URL on Instagram. And then it just pops up and says, you know, download the app. I'm like, been there. Made my. Oh man, no. First of all, TikTok is a black hole of yumminess. It is. I swear, like I was so against something. It's so stupid. But it was because the algorithm hadn't figured me out yet. Like, I don't know if this is a millennial thing or if it's just a me and my sister's thing. But we love when like the algorithm learns us. Like people are like, I don't want like you know, Facebook to know my shopping interest. I'm like, please know my shopping interest. I want it to send me the good stuff. Like, what is it? What are you doing? Like, and like, once TikTok figures out your algorithm, you're getting all the good stuff. Like, it's just so much fun. Uh, but yeah, it's a, also a black hole of um, non you know, productivity, but. I love when I buy something from the ad and it's amazing. Yes. When I'm like, I could never live without this yes. I love it so much. I love that it knows me. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's, I won't watch. You have no idea. Yeah, you have no idea how many people will like message me and be like, I found your products through Instagram ads. Keep going, girl, because I'm so excited. I got this. I'm like, I'll keep running it. You won't worry. So talking to you, prepping for our call, I yeah. had like a wave of nostalgia when it came to illustration books. Okay. And there's a one book that sticks out in my memory and it was The Rainbow Fish. Okay. Which was originally written in German that was then translated. I didn't know that. To, yeah, I didn't know that either was translated to English. And I think, I can't even imagine how many languages it's in right now. But do you remember it's the, the blue fish with yeah. the scale? I and remember the story. And then obviously you have, you know, Dr. Seuss, who's mm-hmm. like dumb and yeah. all be all of books. But then also, I didn't realize this, is that technically illustration, like comic books are considered yeah. illustration. And I just, like today years old, like my mind exploded and there's all this like, moths that just like flew out but it's just so amazing like the witch and and everything like that like what impact that has on kids and I was looking up the benefits of reading to your child oh gosh even up to three years old it is there's so much research out there that says even like even if they can't even form words before three or whatever that development that goes so long for the rest of their lives. If you read yeah. at least 15 minutes to their, to your kids and it's, it just blows my mind. And it brought me back to those moments where 
they took those 15 minutes or they took that half hour. And it used to be, honestly, I know they used to bribe you at like, remember pizza hut had that, like bring in your reading card and you got a free pizza. That's fine. You know, but now seeing the benefit behind my bribery, it's just fantastic. And I know that the witch is going to do that. And I'm so, so excited for you. That's just a cute little connection you made. I think it's funny because the rainbow fish is one of those books that when I was writing this book, I kept referring back to as like something I didn't want to do. <laughs> oh no because, way. Because, okay, this is like the lesson of a rainbow fish though, is that it's this beautiful fish, but everybody is jealous of it because it has these beautiful scales. And so it has to give away all its scales and then it gets to be like liked by people. And I'm like, that's a terrible lesson. Like, why do I have to not shine so brightly so that way people like me? Like I should be myself and they should like me because of who I am. And <laughs> No, I totally get that. I just thought of like, what was a book that I read? Yeah. Or it was in every doctor's office you could imagine. Yeah. Like the hungry caterpillar, but I couldn't even tell you what that was about. To be honest. I remember he had a whole series of books. I just literally remember sitting down with my, my friend who was editing my book with me. And I was like, I just don't want to give like an accidental lesson that isn't a good lesson. Like you don't want to accidentally like implant this idea in the kid's head that this is how we have to be like, this is not a good lesson. But yes, I 100% agree with you about reading. Um, there's actually an Eduardo Galliano, who is a South American writer, who um, talks a lot about how, you know, the books that we read become a part of us. So like, you know, like there's like a whole, he does he writes a lot of vignettes and there's a whole story about a little girl and she would steal her uncle's book and go under covers and read it. And, you know, years later, 20 years later, like this book, you know, she could never even recognize it on a shelf now, but it's become a part of her. And I just, I love how poetic and beautiful that is. And I think that there's so much power and beauty in reading and sharing these stories with kids and just, you know, it's, it's a moment of connection. It's a moment of um, imagination. And I just think that there's just so much beauty in that. And anything that resonates with you to continue on like that, I feel like is going to just impact people. And obviously that message of kindness, you, there's no such thing I think is too much kindness, you know? And I think we obviously yeah. need a lot more of that in the world. And I know for a fact that, the witch is going to do that. So oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so court. Yeah. Can I call you court? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, friends now. Yeah. So I've already booked my plane ticket to Florida. So <laughs> I will come drink wine with you. Yeah. So, oh my, don't joke about it. We tried going before COVID with my sisters for their birthday. Then we I tried getting into the Harry go all the time. Really? Yeah. What's your, what's your house? Are you into it? So I'm so into it, but I don't think I have a house. I just, I don't ever believe it. So, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so you listened to, I think you heard the one with Ashley. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yes. So my, my sisters and my mom and dad took it the same quiz that I did. Yeah. Ravenclaws, except one sister either just didn't answer the text. I'm like, is she busy or does she know? She got Hufflepuff. We don't talk about it. I do love the word Hufflepuff though. I don't know. It's a great word. Reminds me of Jigglypuff the Pokemon, which was my favorite Mm -hmm. because she slept. I'm like, what's better than that? (laughs) Like, that's your superpower? Sign me. She's also also great on Super Smash Brothers. Yes. Is that Kirby? Is that her? I can't remember actually. Is it Kirby or her? She sang people to sleep. (laughs) Remember that? That's the best. I think that's the best superhero. So was Kirby? Kirby was the was the one who did the did the Yes, he's yeah. really sorry. Okay, I confused the two. That's I always fair. do. I think I used to call him Jigglypuff when I played Super Smash Brothers, and they used to correct me all the time. And I'm like, I don't care. Looks like Jigglypuff. Yeah. No, I totally. 
So there is one last question that we do ask everyone on the podcast. Okay. And that is, what is one thing that you've experienced that everyone should go through? I, you know, and I remember thinking I needed to prepare for this question. And I completely forgot. Okay. So something that I have gone through, that I think everybody should go through. I think I would say like being forced to try things that you don't want to try. I think that like having, having to teach because that was the only a career option available to me just opened so many doors and I've learned so many things and just continuously like trying to testing myself and trying new things has been really what has gotten to me this point in my life and in my career. And I, you know, I guess I credit a lot of that to just kind of being forced into awkward positions. I mean, they say like restraint is one of the most creative things that you can deal with because the less options you have, the more creative you have to be. And I think that just like learning how to problem solve and try things that maybe, maybe they aren't for you forever, but just learning and experiencing different things. Like I've never, I don't know if it was your podcast or somebody else's. I heard this the other day and I was like, this is such an important lesson. Like I've never had learning that was wasted. And it is such an important thing. Like I think back to all the stupid jobs I've done from bartending to being a barista, to being a makeup artist, whatever I've had to do, there's been so many lessons I walked away with that whether or not that was like the job that I wanted to do or whatever, it was in my life in that moment. And I learned so much from those experiences and I've always carried those with me as I move through my life and they've impacted and helped me in all these different ways. That's awesome. So visit notbaddesignco.com and check out all the awesome tea towels and the aprons and the headbands and stickers and there's blankets and wallpapers, all of Courtney's illustrations. And of course, please support Courtney and pick up the witch, you know, also too, the holidays are coming up pretty soon. They are. Not just Halloween, but I don't know. People were doing Christmas in July and I was getting agita because it was like 65 here. I'm like, it's not going to snow yet. I'm freaking out. So, but please support Courtney, pick up the witch. Also follow Courtney in everything, not bad design co on Instagram at Courtney makes pretty. Oh my God. Court, you are so insightful. I love your philosophy around kindness and I really want to come hang out with you. So I'm in Florida. I'm going to, I'm going to hit you up and I'm so excited. 100%. Oh yes, please. Court, you are officially a lady with lions. This was the best kickoff to season two. You are the first <laughs> person to Woo! join the community in season two. So, oh my God, this is so great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing this. I had so much fun.